Last week, Pastor Brady um, spoke a message on the unity of the body of Christ, and that was actually part one of a series um, we are going to be doing on the body of Christ. So for the next few weeks, um, our topic is going to be the body of Christ. And I just kind of want to give you a clue as to what uh, I feel like the Lord wants to accomplish in this series. Let me, give, let me begin by giving you a statement. And please listen carefully to what I'm about to say to you concerning the body of Christ. You ready? Church is not a location, it's an identity. Think about what I just said. Church is not a location, it's an identity. When you become born again, you become part of the universal, and I don't use, I know some people are scared of that word universal because it can have new age uh, implications. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the universal, the, 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 the global church. When you become born again, you are born into the church of Christ. Tell your neighbor, welcome to the family. All right? So church is not a location. It's an identity. And so in this series, what I hope to do is bring clarity to that statement. A couple of things I want to accomplish. First of all, I believe that the Lord wants to, in this series, wants to raise our value in the church so that how we value the church will grow. Because I believe far too many of us don't really value the body of Christ. So the first thing I want to do is raise our value. Second thing I hope to accomplish is this, that I'd hope that we would learn from this, that church is not something to attend as a spectator. It's not a place where you just go. It's somewhere where you belong. And it's somewhere that you have responsibility. You can enjoy the, the, the privileges of the church and you also partake in the responsibility of the church. So in this series, here's, here's what I hope to do. I want to elevate our value of the church and then also for us to understand that it's not something we just come partake in. It's that we have stock in this thing and that we'll understand that church is not a location, it's an identity. So we're going to be looking into Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and I want to read some scripture to you that you'll recognize, especially if you've studied Christian marriage, you will, you will see these verses and you will uh, pick up on the fact that, that we're talking about marriage here, but it goes far beyond marriage. So we're in Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 25. I'm going to read and I want to make some comments as we go along. It says this, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Let me stop right there and say to you, Husbands, this is where we get our job description. Husband's job description is in Ephesians 5.25. It says we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. How did he do that? What did it look like? He laid his life down for his, Christ laid his life down for the church. And the job of husbands is to lay our life down for our wives. You want to be a good husband? Be the best servant in the house. You're not here to be served. You're here to serve. Come on now, let me get you fired up, husbands. Well, that woman just don't, well, maybe you're not serving her well enough. Okay, I'll get off that. Jody, talk about the body of Christ. Leave husbands alone. Verse 26. <laughs> Verse 26. 
that he, that's Jesus, might sanctify and cleansing it, cleansing, cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Interesting, by the word. You can underline that. Verse 27, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Let me make another quick comment. I don't know about you, but I grew up in church, and I've heard this verse all my life that, you know, that, that the body, the bride, is to be without spot or wrinkle. So the way my ears heard that as a kid was, we're supposed to be without spot or wrinkle. So go ahead and get the wrinkles out real quick. Like, like get yourself without spot, get yourself without wrinkle because God wants a, a bride without spot or wrinkle. That's not what this says. It says that he is preparing for himself. In other words, he's in charge of the process. You and I aren't. So I don't have to white knuckle it. Come on, man. Let me get these wrinkles out. Let me get these spots out. No, it's up to him. And how does he do it? By washing us with the word. It's the word that sanctifies us. According to John 17, 17, it's the word that cleans us up. Okay, enough of that side note. Verse 28, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth um, their own bodies, he that loveth his wife loveth himself, and I can't see. For no man ever um, yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his blood. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. This is an important verse. Now look at this verse with me. Because he's talking about husbands and wife. He's talking about marriage. But in, in this verse, he actually tells us where he's going with this. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. In other words, he's talking about marriage, but what you and I need to know that our earthly marriage is for one purpose. It's to paint a picture of Christ and the church. Our marriage should look like Christ and the church. So this is really talking about Jesus and the church more than it is about marriage. And so I'm gonna, I'm, what I want to do is take this text and out of this text, I want to bring up three terms that the Bible gives for this right here, what we are currently doing. The gathering of the body. There's three terms I want to draw out that defines what we're doing here today and what we do on most Sundays. First term I want to bring to your attention is the term the bride of Christ. A name for this, for us, one of the terms that the word uses is to describe us as the bride of Christ. Now, as I grow and as I study and as I learn more about the word, one thing I realize is that I believe we in, in the Western world miss a lot of, of the, the implications, the subtlety of scripture because we view the world from our Western culture and our Western paradigm. The Bible was not written in a, through an, a Western paradigm. It was written through an Eastern paradigm, okay? And so I, I, I just want to show you what I mean by that. The Bible calls us the bride of Christ. Now, you know, in, in our Western world, you ask, you know, a, a man asks a woman to marry him, and we start the engagement process. 
And that's done a certain way in America and in the Western world. But it's very different. It was done very differently in an Eastern culture. Well, what happened was usually there were arranged marriages. Anybody want to sign? <laughs> We've got some people who are excited about that. I was, uh, being the preacher's kid, I've had several people come to me when I was a teenager, several mothers who thought that I should be in an arranged marriage. In fact, they had heard from God that I was to marry their daughter. And thank God they were wrong because I didn't want to marry their daughter. But often there were arranged marriages and then there was the, the betrothal process. In other words, like the engagement. And, and you know, now, um, now we're making a big deal about engagement parties. I grew up in the age where like Laurie and I went to dinner and I asked her to marry me at dinner. There was no photographer hiding in the pot plant. There was no Instagram post about it. It was just me asking her to marry me. That's how we did it. But nowadays, you kids, everything's got to be a production, right? And so it's this big deal. So it, actually, the way you're doing it now is, is, is a little more like, like they did it back then. The betrothal process was a big deal. In fact, there was a big celebration around the fact that, that they became engaged. And, and the, the groom, obviously, the potential groom, would offer a ring or something of value as, as kind of a placeholder to the bride-to-be. And they were, they were betrothed. Now, what you have to understand where, where, where it's vastly different from today is that when you were betrothed, it was the same as being married. Like it took divorce to break up an engagement back then. It was the same as being married, except you didn't live together. There was no connection between the two. So you were, you were engaged, but, but in fact, you had no interaction with one another after the, 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 the engagement and during the, the betrothal process. Now, what happened during that time is, is, is the, the groom proposes to the, to the bride, and then he actually goes away and begins to build the house they're going to live in or what was customary was he would add on to his, his father's house and, and build the place that they were going to live. Okay. And, and a betrothal was usually at least a year long engagement. And, and you were, nobody really knew when the wedding was going to happen because the wedding, the coming together was going to happen after the house that they lived in was fully built and fully prepared. Now, why do I say that? Because you remember when Jesus told the disciples, I go away to prepare a place for you? That was wedding talk. It resonated in their ears. It doesn't resonate in ours. But what he was saying is, you and I are betrothed. I'm now going to go away and I'm going to prepare a place. And when that place is prepared, I'm going to come get you. That's how it happened in the Eastern world. In fact, they had the, 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 the bride and the groom had very little contact. Let me just give you a side note. I love this. I love symbolism. This stuff excites me. Do you know that during the engagement, there was no communication between the potential groom and the potential bride? If the, bride, if the groom wanted to pass information or a message along to the bride, you know what he would do? He would send word through one of his friends. 
a friend would go speak to the bride for the groom. Now, why does that excite you so much, Jody? Remember in John 14 and John 16, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm leaving, but I'm going to not leave you without a friend. I'm leaving one of my friends here with you. And the Holy Spirit's job, remember, it's the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to leave my spirit here with you. And what my spirit's going to do, what the Holy Spirit's going to do, is he's going to remind you of everything I said. He's not going to talk about himself. He's going to, he's going to talk about me to you. So the picture is, Jesus, you and I are betrothed to Jesus. We are betrothed as the bride of Christ, even though we're not living together yet. That's what heaven's about. We're not living together yet. However, we are committed to one another in a covenant, committed to one another. And he speaks to us through his best friend. Sends messages down. The, holy, the best friend of Jesus is right here talking to you today. Right? Isn't that beautiful? And, and so it, it's just like being married. And, and the reason I'm pointing this out to you today, one of the terms is the bride of Christ. But here's what I want you to know about, about this term. If you look in the book of Exodus, the 34th chapter in the 14th verse, you'll, you'll see this passage. And it says this in typical Old, Old Testament language. It says, you shall worship no other gods for the God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous. Now, you see that's a capital J. Oh, it's all capital up there. But it's actually a, a, a proper noun. So the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Now, how many of you, when you think of the term jealousy, you think of sin? We know that jealousy, envy, coveting, those type of things, that, that's a sinful thing, that we ought to not be jealous. However, the word says that God's very name is jealous. I want to introduce a term to you that we use often when we're talking about marriage, but you'll see how it applies here. The term is this, legitimate jealousy. Laurie and I, last month, celebrated our 30-year wedding anniversary. Now, because we are married, there are things, there are parts of me that belong to her exclusively, and there are parts of her that belong to me exclusively. And if I give what belongs to her to someone else, it is legitimate for her to be jealous. If, if one night she catches me out at dinner with another woman using our finances to buy a, a nice meal for another woman and, and I start giving affections to another woman, would any of you hold it against Laurie if she was jealous? It's a legitimate, legitimate jealousy. So I want to say this to you. If you and I are truly the bride of Christ, guess what? then our bridegroom is jealous over us. And we should not be giving out our affections to anyone except him. He is the Lord. And listen, he has paid a dowry for you. Come on, you didn't come cheap. He gave his best. He paid a high price for you. So when we give our affections somewhere else, it's legitimate for our God who has bought and paid for us, redeemed us with the precious blood of his son. It is legitimate for him to be jealous over us. So we are the bride of Christ. All affection is to be pointed toward our groom. Amen? 
And so I just want to encourage, the point I want to make about this, this title, us being the bride of Christ, is that our God, he is jealous for me. Remember that song? It's legitimate that he's jealous. Second term, I want to, I want to give you for what we do here, the gathering of believers, is this. The term is the body of Christ. The body of Christ. And Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 15, verse 16, he said to them, he said, let your light so shine among men that they would see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You and I, when we become born again, we are brought into the body of Christ. So we here today, we're the body of Christ. Now, let me just show you a couple things about the body. Here's what the body does. Think about your physical body here on earth. Now, if you know anything about real spiritual realities, you'll know that this is not Jody. This one day is going to pass away. Jody's living forever somewhere. This is not Jody. However, this does two things. It gives Jody the opportunity to interact with the world around him because of this. I get to go to Walmart because of this. I get to go hunting because of this. This body gives me the opportunity to interact with the world around me, and this body gives the world around me opportunity to interact with me. You can talk to Jody. You can interact with Jody body to body. So when I say to you that you and I are the body of Christ, here's what I want to emphasize on this. Christ having you as his body gives the opportunity for Christ to interact with the world through your body. You are how Christ interacts with the world. He has chosen in his sovereignty to act through his body. When he, when he wants to do something in your neighbor's life, guess how he's going to do it? Through you. When he wants your neighbor to have some fresh baked cookies, he's not sending an angel. He's sending Greg. And then also, when, when Christ wants to give opportunity for the world to interact with him, you know how it happens? It's through his body. What I hope is that in this very room this morning is that there's somebody who was hungry to interact with God and that God sent them here to sit in his body to sit next to a toe, to sit next to his pancreas, to his, sit next to his liver, something his, that they would come into his body and be able to interact with the very spirit and presence of God through sitting right smack dab in the middle of his body. Come on, we're the body of Christ, church. Our job, our job is to represent Christ. I love it saying it this way, to represent Christ. Christ. When we're going about our daily lives, we ought to be re-presenting Christ to the world around us. 
but we don't understand our identity as the body of Christ. We think the body of Christ is at 1410 West Napoleon Street, 10 o'clock on Sundays, but that's not, it, the body of Christ is not limited to this location and this time frame. You and I are the body of Christ as we move about our world. And we give the world an opportunity to interact with Christ through dealing with us. And when Christ wants to bless the world, he's gonna do it through us. You and I, church, are the body of Christ. It's time to act like it. It's time to act like it. You're never off. We don't punch out as the body of Christ. Everything we do, we do as the body of Christ. So that's the second term that, that the Bible gives for what we do here. The third term is this. So we've said that the body of Christ is, I mean, the, the bride of Christ is one of the terms. The body of Christ. Third term is this, the church. This is one we're familiar with, the church. But as Brady pointed out last week, if you do a little studying, what you'll find is the word church in the New Testament is the Greek word ekklesia. Ex ekklesia, I'm sorry, ekklesia is the Greek word. Now, this term was not originally a religious term. This was a social term, okay? So it was common to use this word ekklesia in society during that time. And here's what it meant. Ecclesia was a gathering of people in a public place for the purpose of, of deliberating a subject. Now, it's a town hall meeting. That's what an ecclesia was. Hey, we need to talk about the, the cracked sidewalk in front of Miss Johnson Street. Everybody gather. Let's go down to City Square. Gather around. We all, a crowd of us gather in a public place and we deliberate a subject. That's what ecclesia was. It wasn't religious. However, when the church was formed after the resurrection of Jesus, that word ecclesia took on a religious tone. Now, here's the point I want to make in this. Is that what we are doing here today and what we do weekly is scriptural and it's valid. For us to gather, look around. There's a gathering of people here in a public place. This is a public place. Anybody can walk in here. All are welcome. Can I hear a big amen? They're all welcome. We're all welcome. And we're here to deliberate a subject. What's the subject? Jesus, the gospel. And so there's, there's validity to what you and I are doing today. Now, Jody, obviously we're here. Why, why, why are you making such a big deal about this? I'm, I'm making a big deal about it because of this. I've seen a movement in the last few years of people who have moved away from the ecclesia. And, and, and I want to be especially careful because we, our online viewership here at Victory is way bigger than who, how, how many people show up in this room on Sunday. And what we tell our online viewers is, if you're watching us, you're part of us. Can I hear a big amen? They're part of us. And we love them, right? We love our online viewers. So I'm not trying to cast any condemnation that way. But I do want to say this. There is validity to what we are doing currently in this room right now. But there is a movement in the last few years of people who have pulled back from this. Now, they've done it for several reasons. You know, I've heard things like, well, Jody, you know, you don't have to go to a church building and sit in an auditorium with other people to be part of the body of Christ. And to that, I say, amen. I mean, you can meet with, with 
members of the body of Christ in a living room and accomplish the same thing, right? So this isn't sacred. But what I do want to say is if the, if the spirit in you is to pull back from the body, then you're missing it. You're missing it if you aren't fully engaged in the ecclesia of the body of Christ. Can I go a little further? If you're the man or woman who loves to show up at 10.06, and when I start my closing prayer, you're missing it. I'm not condemning you, but I'm just saying you're missing part of what the ecclesia is. There's value in us gathering together. You say, well, Jody, there's problems in the church. And to that, I would say, duh. Jody, there's hypocrites in the church. (gasps) There's imperfect people in the church. No. So, so what is this about then? You know, I, I am, I'm absolutely convinced. Let me just say this. I'm absolutely convinced that in, in my study, in my personal study, what I've come to understand is that I believe the number two thing that God uses to shape you, so the number one thing is the word of God. That's how he shapes us. The number two tool that he uses to shape us is relationships. I've been married for 30 years. Can I tell you that I am not the same guy I was 30 years ago? You know why? Because I have intimately related with someone. And you know, we all come into this thing prickly. We're just all prickly. But what I've found is after I relate with somebody closely, you know what happens? I get less prickly. I, I want to say something very carefully. Very carefully. Have you ever known that old bachelor who's like never been married and he's never had kids? Have you known the cat lady who the only relationship she has is her cats? I want to say this very carefully because I know some people I love very much and I value very much who are bachelors and I'm not saying, but there's something about when you get married you're just less weird. <laughs> Interacting closely with somebody just rubs it off of you. I'm more palatable. I'm more gracious. I'm more There's something about a relationship that shapes us. Now is it always fun? No. We love the statement, iron sharpens iron. But I always say, have you ever seen iron sharpen iron? It's noisy. There's smells. There's there's smoke. There's fire. Iron sharpening iron is not fun. But it's necessary. And I want to say to you, part of the value of the ecclesia is that we really get to know one another. And then I need you to shape me and you need me to shape you. And we need one another. So I want to say this to you, church. Don't run from this. Engage in it. And don't just, that's what I say. I'm not trying to be too hard on you people who, who you're like, sneak in, sneak out. 
I meet people sometimes like, hey, are you new to victory? No, I've been coming for four years. <laughs> I've just never stayed around to shake a hand, you know. And I want to say we love you. If that's you, I get it. I'm an introvert by nature, so I get it. But I just want to say you're missing something if you're not fully engaging relationally with the body of Christ. There's purpose to this. In fact, there's a, a passage of Scripture that the Lord has given me revelation on in my own private journey because, honestly, it's, it was for me. There's a passage of Scripture in, in the book of 1 John, the first chapter. It says this. It says that uh, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, two things happen. That uh, we have fellowship one with another, and secondly, that the blood of Christ forgives us of our sins. And here's what the Lord said to me, because Jody's an introvert. Jody gets energized being alone, okay? And so the Lord used this passage to speak to me, because here's what it says. It says, if we walk in the light. Now, I always thought that meant, you know, the light being sinless, so if you walk perfectly, if you walk without sin, then you'll have fellowship with one another and the blood of Christ will forgive you of your sins. But, I, but the Lord showed me something. I just want you to try and precise, see if it works for you. Here's what the Lord said to me. Walking in the light isn't about being sinless. It's about being open. It's about walking without hiddenness. Because see, what I've found is that if I have hiddenness in me, if I have secrets you know what I can't do is have close fellowship with you. Because you might see my secrets. So I got to keep you here because I got these things I'm trying to hide behind me. So it's good morning, brother. God bless you. You look great today. Am, am I talking to anybody in here? We can't have real fellowship if I'm walking in hiddenness. And also, I can't have forgiveness of my sins walking in hiddenness because it's not the sins that we hide that we are forgiven from. It's the sins that we confess with our mouth that we get forgiveness from. Amen. And so part of being a part of the ecclesia is not about being perfect. It's about being open. And it's about saying, brother, here I am, warts and all. Please love me enough not to judge me. Please give me grace in my journey. Please pray for me. Please hold me accountable. Please help me grow. But I'm not walking in hiddenness. I'm not going to remove myself from the ecclesia because I need you. My growth is contingent on me being a part of the ecclesia. So church, don't run. Don't run from this. And if you're a part of our online viewership only because you're running then correct yourself and get here. We need you in this room. And you need to be in this room with us. Are sparks going to fly? Probably. Is, no, is it going to be noisy and smoke? Yes, probably. But that's okay. We're shaping one another. We're all growing through this process. So in this series, what I want to do is I want to raise our value in the body of Christ. I want you to understand that you have been brought into something. And this is a valuable thing. Part of what you've been brought into is you are the bride of Christ. And so church, we need to be faithful to the one to whom we're betrothed. Our affections should not be going to other places. We should not be serving other gods. And nobody in this room would say, I'm serving other gods. However, I would say that all of us in this room deal with the fact that if we're not careful, idols pop up in our life. Our affections belong only to the one to whom we're betrothed. You're the bride of Christ. Secondly, you're the body of Christ. Come on, let's start walking in a way that we would represent our Lord. 
that, that our neighbors could interact with Christ by interacting through us. That we would truly be ambassadors of Christ. And you know what? Something else on, on that term, on that thought of being the, the body of Christ is the body is what God uses to display his glory. I'm ready for the glory of God to sit on us, to rest on us as his body. And I, I just want you to know that we spend a lot of time preparing for these, these, these services here, our gatherings. One thing that I take great pride in is we have cut the fluff out of our gatherings. I grew up in a time where, you know, you may sing for 45 minutes. We may worship for 45 minutes, and I'm all for that. But then would come the announcement time. And it seems like 45 minutes later, we're still talking about who's bringing the baked beans to the covered dinner. Right? And, you know, and so we would, it, we're not going to forfeit the worship, and we're not going to forfeit the word, but there was other stuff in between that just took up lots amount of brain space. And what we've done at Victory is we cut all that out. That's the reason we do video announcements, because you can't ramble on a video announcement. There's an edit button. We can do it in three minutes instead of 23 minutes. So we certainly keep you in mind when we craft our services. But I just want to tell you this. When the glory of the Lord shows up, it's all the craftiness is out the window. We're just going to let him do his thing. And if we're here all day, we'll just be here all day. Some of you are like, oh, my God. I was with him. And you're looking around like, it's the glory today? Because I got, there's a game on. Are you with me? We're here to house the glory of the Lord. Right? So we're the body of Christ. And then lastly, lastly, we're the church. We're the ecclesia, and there's value. There's value in us showing up in this way and us getting to know one another. Don't march out of here without knowing somebody. Come on, make some friends. Get in each other's lives. I love the fact that we could pray with the Wilson family over little Josiah, and that wasn't just a prayer because I know him. He's in my life. He's part of me. So there's value in the ecclesia. Three things, three terms God uses to describe us. I hope that today your value has been raised in this gathering, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, and the church. Would you please stand up with me? Here's how I'd like to finish my time here this morning, and then the worship team is coming up right now, and we're going to worship for a few more minutes before we, um, before we dismiss you. But here's how I'd like to end my time here with you. I would like to pray for you, and I would also like to give you, as we're worshiping, I would like to give you the opportunity to, first of all, repent if you have been too casual about the church, if you have not truly understood what it means to be part of the body, or maybe you've understood, but you've just disconnected. I want to give you an opportunity to repent from that, and then secondly, I want to ask that God would do a work in us as his body that our value would be raised and we would true under, truly understand what it means to be part of the family of God. Would you bow your head?